Hello and welcome to another episode of Can't Stop the Growth. I'm your host, Chad Peterman, and today I have a good friend of mine on the podcast who is going to be a wealth of knowledge. He and I have bounced many ideas off of one another and, and continue to do so. So without further ado, we'd like to welcome President and CEO of Eco Plumbers in Columbus, Ohio, Aaron Gaynor. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thank you, Chad. It's great to finally get a chance to get on here. I know you and I talk a lot and text and communicate a lot of things, but thanks for the opportunity to get on here and share a little of my story and hopefully inspire or help some other people and learn something along the way myself. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, uh, sharing with another guest um, last week, I think, uh, uh, you know, why I do this and you know, it has just been a, um, uh, a way for me to learn a ton. I'll walk away from every episode. Even if I've talked to the person numerous times in the past, uh, I, I always feel like our conversation leads down a path that otherwise it may not. And there, there's always something to, uh, to grab there uh, and, or, and or learn. So awesome stuff. Well, I guess to get started, why don't you give us kind of a rundown of how Eco Plumbers came to be and, and where you guys are today? Yeah, so... Uh, I'll, maybe I'll start a little way back. I started in the trades in 1997, right out of high school. No family in the trades, so I didn't know anything about the trades at all. Uh, actually, was loading uh, semi trucks at Value City Furniture on second shift during high school and out. And then had my good friend uh, John Veerhoff, who's also a Nextar member. Um, his brother-in-law worked for Ferguson and just said, "Hey, I know a guy that wants to put young guy, get some young guys in the trade." Like that was it, right? There was no schooling, nothing else. It was a first shift job. It paid about seven dollars and twenty-five cents, and I was making about fourteen dollars an hour, which was good money. But that's how they trapped you in the warehouse. Uh, but I said, "Why not?" It's first shift, so I took that job, and that's how I got into the trades, just to get people that. And then from there, I ended up getting my master's plumber's license, as they call it. Uh, back then, which I think they should go back to, by the way, it sounds a lot cooler than just state license. And when I was 23 years old, uh, and then from there, I started a plumbing company with my good friend, uh, John, I'd say this was a total e-myth story. Exactly. We knew how to do plumbing very well. So we should start a business. Uh, and that's what we did. Right. But we sure didn't know how to manage or we weren't understood how to be entrepreneurs at that time. So we, we grew a business to about three million, about three, three and a half million dollars roughly in new construction plumbing, right? Everything Nextar would tell us not to do. Uh, as you see behind me now, I have worked the model behind me up on the wall there to remind me to never unwork anything other than the real model of service. Uh, but we grew that uh, to about 2006. Uh, as the market turned down, uh, we started losing contracts in business. Uh, through new construction and we fought to try to stay alive. We lost one of our biggest contracts uh, through Syntex Homes, which I now think has been absorbed into Pulte or something at that time. And uh, it caused us to collapse and go into bankruptcy. So I went into a personal bankruptcy 2006 and into 2007, uh, lost jobs for people, lost uh, my house, my car, I lost everything. I went into personal bankruptcy. If anybody's ever been there, it's not a good place to be and it's not fun, right? But had nothing zero dollars to my name ended up back at my mom's two-bedroom apartment one of the was kind of her office space and I was sleeping on the couch and um, I had a single dad at that time with a three-year-old son I just remember looking at him saying I promise this won't be your life and got up got to work and started building eco plumbers borrowed fifty dollars from my sister opened up a bank account my sister my service manager Braun today uh, helped out and we got to work and We've been building that throughout the last 15 years uh, from nothing to where we are today. It's taken a lot of work when you don't have any money to grow a service business. So uh, that's been the quick story of my story all the way up to now. And then was able to connect with about eight years ago with Mike, who's our CFO now, who's also brought a ton of value, which I know you know, Chad, very well too, um, and really helped us dial in some of our financial and our, our business and structure. And then joined Nextar about eight years ago and also about eight years ago, got on Service Titan. So all that kind of came together about eight years ago. Um, and we've been able to really uh, take off, especially in the last four or five years, which you know, some of our growth the last couple of years. So yeah. that's, a, that's a whole story in a quick nutshell. And I'll be happy to answer more of those questions as we go along. For sure. And I, I appreciate you sharing. And I've heard the story before, but I, I definitely wanted to uh, wanted to have you share that. You know, even for me and, and, you know, you say you draw stuff, you know, we talk 
shoot once a week, if not multiple times a week. And uh, I can tell you that knowing that you were on the schedule today, uh, it made it a little bit easier to get out of bed, uh, knowing the odds that you were facing and, and what you've built today. Uh, what, a, uh, what a tremendous story that is um, and continues to be. So thank you for that. That's really awesome. One of the things, obviously, you pointed out in, in kind of the story, obviously, the model that you work today is vastly different than the model you worked then. What would you say um, after you figured out the model? I think everybody's pretty clear on that. You know, new construction goes up and down, all that residential service. That's kind of the model that, that you and I uh, subscribe to. What, what would you say as, as you guys have really taken off uh, on a growth pattern, what would you say from a leadership perspective are some of the things that, that you kind of hold most dear to your heart as, as having learned over the last, call it five years or so? Well, I think one thing is, is being able to stay the course, right? With this stuff, right? It's, there's always distractions. People come with, hey, there's this multi-million dollar project. There's this, there's that, all these things. People come, even your own team come and, and be able to just say no. Just say no. I just had to say no to our general manager at one of our newer locations. He wanted to get brought some stuff about some restoration company contract and the guy had was working. I literally just said, no, like, no. He said, but, but it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. I go, no. It, yeah. It sounds good on paper until you have to do it. So being able to say no to that other business, which is hard because it's people look at you because it is, there's real money. There is money there, right? It's just, it interferes with the actual model that you're trying to do. Right. I've seen this happen. Chad, you've probably seen it and other people have. As soon as you pick up some account and everybody believes it's some multi-million dollar account, everybody drops everything for everybody else and takes all their focus onto that account, which then destroys the model of focusing on one customer at a time every day and building a long-term relationship with the community you serve, not with one contractor that you work for. And I've seen that. And I think that's been probably one of the biggest things for me was to, once I flipped that switch and made that decision, to stay that course. Um as we went. So hopefully that's answering the question in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, you know, obviously there's, there's a time and place to kind of, as you're getting a business up off the ground and, you know, you're trying to make payroll and stuff like that, there's a time to, you know, you're going to have to reach for, we did it, you did it probably, you know, there's a time you're, someone calls and they want some work done, by God, we're going to, we're going to figure out a way to make some money. And uh, I, I think you make a, a very great point in the, the work, the model, and there may be times where you've got to stray just to make something, but being very clear on what that model is. Um, yeah. And I can tell you that when you're in a position to say no to work, regardless really of what level you're at, you should be saying no to some work, whatever that type of work is that you're not very good at, but there is no greater satisfaction than saying no, knowing that if you would have said yes, it would have been months and months of a headache. Yeah. So I think there's a difference there. I agree. I mean, I hustle. There's a difference between when you're in hustle mode and now you're running a full out, a full out organization that has to have a framework. Right. So I don't say don't take that work. If you're getting up off the ground today and you're working hard and you're trying to find, yeah, do everything you can to make ends meet to your end result, what that may be. And my end game was to get in the service business. Cause when I went into bankruptcy and was trying to look around, I said, who's still working? And who, what business we're still going. I look around, I see all the service trucks on the road and they're growing and they still have market. And then you, you start to read stuff. You look, and it's like, man, why? Cause I came from construction. Right. So that's all I knew. Uh, so it was like, that was the end game. That was the, that's what I was working towards. So if you're doing those things, I would be in the mindset of I'm doing those to help me get to my end result, which eventually I will flip to hopefully service. That's, that's, that's the best opportunity. Uh, I believe now, again, if, whether you're going to work, whatever model you're going to work, just work it. If it's construction, work it. If it's commercial service, work it, right? Whatever it is, work that until you fully have that understood and then move to whatever the next thing is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, I'm so glad you made that point about there's a difference between hustle and then working the, then your, your actual model that you're going to continue to work. So what I would advise and, and actually, and it doesn't matter really what level you're at. I might, I'm spent this morning uh, doing an exercise that my CFO makes me do. Um, I should probably listening, uh, cursing me or something like that, but she makes me do that says, 
okay, if this is what we're going to do, when are we going to exit this piece? When are we going to enter this piece? By when? How are we going to measure it? All of these things. Um, and I think it's just important to understand the vision, which we've talked about many a times on this, on this podcast, but when are you going to exit hustle mode? You know, when, mm-hmm. when are you going to, it's okay that your model's out there and you got to scrap and claw to get going, uh, but when are you going to exit that? And by, how are you going to measure that? When we reach this point, we're going to say no to these types of jobs, or we're going to say no to these opportunities. And we're just going to focus on these pieces of the puzzle. I think that's extremely important. And one still that, I mean, heck, you said you did it this morning. When you said restoration company, I literally just a smile just went over my face. I've got a couple of buddies that work in restoration companies. They're like, hey, you want to take a look at some work? I'm like, absolutely not. No, (laughs) not in a million years. Uh, And that's okay. That's just, our models just don't coexist. They're good companies, uh, but our models would not, we would, we would provide, and what I always tell them, I go, we would provide terrible service to you because we wouldn't. We wouldn't follow your timelines. We wouldn't do anything like that because that's just, just not our model. I would agree with that. I've had to say the same things. Like we just wouldn't be able to provide the level of service you expect for that yeah. type of for that type of you know work that you're doing. It's not it's not how we're built. You know, we're built yeah. in three days, right? Models doing things in three days, not long extended projects. And I, I think that's what people just have to understand. It's like what model are you working? I think there is again great point difference between hustle and you know building a model that works long-term for your business. So your team can also be uh, aligned with you and know, you know, where to go, what to do. People are always going to bring stuff. If they think it brings revenue or growth or does something, they want to bring it up. Right. But it's always just reminding them and having that. And I think your point there with your CFO is like, that's just a good integrator helping you out. Right. Helping us, helping people that you know, kind of have big ideas and go, and, you know, we and I, you and I talk a lot. So we got a lot of that going on. It's like getting some people to say, Hey, give us a little more clarity here of your idea. And like, when's it start and when's it end because like you know we're like hey there's a big idea let's go do this and they're trying to get their head around like how much money is it going to cost how many people need to be involved uh what should we allocate to this like those types of things and i think those are good things for any any level of leadership as you're going up to understand how to allocate that conversation with your team because it can come a lot more confusing to them than sometimes we think because we've thought it through in our heads or talked to peers like ourselves many times over we haven't talked to them nowhere near as many times about our thoughts as we have in our own heads. Right. So be able to articulate that. So, so powerful and, and important. Yeah, for sure. And, and a perfect segue there. When it comes to kind of that visionary integrator, if those of you that aren't familiar with the concept, it's, it's born out of traction. Uh, there's also another book, Rocket, Rocket Fuel, Fuel. Yep. Yep, which, which depicts the relationship between visionary and integrator. You have a uh, you have a really really good integrator there in, in Mike. You two were somewhat I don't know if I've ever told you this, but somewhat of the inspiration of uh, allowing me to get out of the way, uh, be, knowing that hey, this integration stuff like this isn't this probably isn't my gig. Uh, I'm, I'm not great at this, uh, so I need to get out of the way. How how would you say that uh, between you and Mike, you guys manage your relationship, being that you're kind of running in different uh, in different lanes of the business? It's a great question. I think it's, uh, there's, there's some really great, I think we complement each other well, right. And in, in many ways, like, um, you know, Mike's very tactical. He gets into the numbers. He, he looks at the, the company from that standpoint, brings that, you know, I'd say I'm, I want to, I'm a drive. I do drive stuff. He drives stuff too, but I'd say I articulate, I communicate a message. I can speak well in front of people, rally the team, you know, uh, articulate the vision where we want to go. Well, we put those together very well together. I'd say that, you know, sometimes as any group, you can see there is sometimes you get some collision, right? You're, you're going and, you know, you, you either collide a little bit on a project or sometimes you can see a little divide of like, hey, I'm trying to do this. We go this way and you have to bring each other back together. And I think that happens in all organizations. Be okay with that because that's part of the process, right? And being okay with that, but constantly staying in line. We have a standing meeting every Tuesday um, at 6.15 a.m. So every Tuesday at 6.15 a.m. Uh, we meet and then we have a monthly review. And then even uh, yesterday on the holiday on Labor Day, him and I got together for two and a half hours to, to, to discuss like the state of eco plumbers right now. What are we where are we at? What do we got going on? What do we need to tackle and make sure we're clear in the next fourth quarter to set us up to stay after our three year picture? 
and evaluate that together, right? So we just use Monday just because we both were free. I'm not recommending everybody comes in on labor days or whatever, right? Just happened to work out for us. And we just use that as a time. And I think it's just getting together and keep communicating, keep collaborating and staying after uh, the strategy together is very, very important for those roles to work properly. And as we bring on more leaders, uh, we hired one, two, three, four managers, ops manager and three frontline managers in the last you know, let's call it 60 days. So, you know, we need to be aligned to have that communication with them too. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I think you bring up some really good points there. Have there ever been times where, or I, here's, here's, here's the question I want to ask. So before Mike, obviously you probably did both. You were probably visionary and integrator to, to some extent, obviously, as you get a, a high caliber guy like that, that comes on uh, and joins the team, it's a little bit easier to step, step back. And, and as you get bigger, obviously it's easier to settle into your role. Was there, how did you navigate that? Cause I think leaders are challenged with that. I know I was, how did you kind of navigate the handing of the torch, if you will, to, uh, to Mike, as far as some of that operational stuff, were there any kind of pain points that you had, um, things that you had anxiety about as you, as you did some of that? Oh, it was perfect. Yeah. I figured as much. All right. Next question. (laughs) Nothing went wrong. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, let's be honest, it's hard to let go of stuff. And it still is. I love getting in the trenches. I like rolling up my sleeves and diving in with the service teams and other stuff. And I still do that because within balance, right? You got to watch within balance. You don't want to overstep boundaries in areas with people. I don't micromanage people, but I love diving in and saying, let's solve this. Like, what do we need? Like, how do we do it? Because I do have the integrator because I'm a technician at heart, right? Like I came from technician background. I grew up as a tradesman. I'm a plumber, right? So I technically know, like want to get in like execute something right at the same time i also have always had a higher level of like thinking of you know i always wanted to build something organize something do something right so i get i get back and forth i take in the test of integrator and and visionary and i I kind of balance in this kind of weird spot where i could do both um depending on where i'm at like what what the project is in front of me so i'd say it was it's a challenge and it still is i mean it's if if you don't say it is then i think you're, you're tearing at yourself. You're not being honest with yourself sometimes. Cause there's times where I think Chad, you could say, say things like you want to jump into certain things. Cause you, you feel like you do have the answer or you have the experience. You're also trying to balance that experience by letting someone else learn. And I I just had a, I just had a phone call with, you know, I consider a great mentor of mine, Jack Tester right before this. And we had a similar conversation still today that I still am fighting versus when do you take charge and when do you let others lead? And I think that's a great question. You have to understand the difference of the two and when to do it, right? Because at the same time, you want to let others make decisions. But as the CEO of your company, you are the ultimate decision maker. So when does it balance between others making decisions and you making the permanent decision to move forward? Yeah, um, I can only imagine uh, what Jack's advice. uh, He's... uh, some of the, I always have to have a notebook and decompress when I talk to Jack. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Cause he's got a lot of, he, and I think the reason why is maybe a part of the, the answer to that quite, or at least getting it, not probably not the answer, but getting us down is, is it all comes down to the questions that you ask. And, you know, as a, as a leader, you know, that is under you, that is, is struggling, um, I think understanding where they are, where their headspace is, is critical because you can keep pushing them. And I've been, I've been guilty of this is like, you know, the answer and you just keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them almost to a fault. Like, yeah, I know he doesn't know the answer. Well, he's not going to get it if I just keep, you know, almost like almost to a, a fault. You're just pushing them to try to figure it out, even though, you know, he's not going to get the answer. And so digging in with those questions and, and figuring that out, I think is the toughest thing. And the thing that I continually work on is asking good questions of those so that they can figure it out themselves. I think that is extremely critical, um, but very tough to do. Yeah, I think that self-discovery, uh, when, you're, when you're leading people, you do want to have them have self-discovery, right? But you also have to get the balance, I believe, between the fact the unknown to the known. If they literally don't know, they don't know. Like, 
you can self-discover all you want unless they're going to go out and try to educate somebody or do something. You have to point them in a direction sometimes too, right? So there's the balance between the two. And I think as I keep trying to grow as a leader, you know, as I, as I read John Maxwell in the five levels of leadership, like I'd love to be a level five leader, right? That's the goal, more leaders, right? Build more leaders, build more leaders, right? Um, but at the same time, like you do have a balance, I think for me, at least as we're trying to grow technicians, maybe in the manager role or even frontline CSRs or dispatchers, like if they don't know, they don't know. And you're going to have to sometimes answer those questions and then let them build on what that discovery is from there. At least that's yeah. been my experience as we've tried to scale a team and scale a team with a lot of our existing staff into roles, right? But I also think yeah. we're at a point where we are bringing in people from the outside because there is a point where there's a talent gap in a few spots uh, that you have to. And I think you could, anybody, that's that's the hardest part, I think, for people that grow businesses with a group of people is you start to really get in this talent gap area where you do have to fill spots. You're also very loyal to the people that work for you because you should be, by the way, right? But then you're in this challenging spot of filling talent gap while also growing the team you have while bringing in other people into the organization that can help. And then and then building cohesiveness between them with the existing team that's helped you grow to bringing new people into the organization and then making sure that they collaborate correctly with their skills and then realizing that everybody's still a great player on the team you know, one person just has to be the point guard and one person's the center and one's a shooting guard and just realize that their skills are a little bit different, but they all bring value. And I think getting people to understand that in a scaling company with the, with your existing infrastructure has been probably one of my bigger challenges to be transparent. That's probably been one of mine. I don't know about you, Chad. Uh, how's that gone for you? Perfect, right? I mean, just, just, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I agree 100%. And, and back to your point about, you know, pointing them in the right direction. I think where I have come up short more times than not is selection of the right person. You know, you talk about bringing people from, you know, the, to try to bridge that talent gap. Hey, I just grew by, you know, 20 technicians. I may not have a technician that can step up in the service manager role to manage. If it were five technicians, okay, maybe someone's there and it's not their fault. Um, similar to like, if they don't know, they don't know. Well, I can't, I can't expect you to be great at, at leading an organization that or a department that big. Yeah. Um, and, great. and I have oftentimes selected somebody who was great for the organization that we had currently, but then we added 20 technicians over a six month period. And then all of a sudden this guy's like underwater, like, uh, what am I supposed to do? And you're like, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't pick the right person. And so we get mad at that person for not being a great manager yet. We never selected the right person in the, in the first place. I've never done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing that with all of us, Chad. That's really, yeah. really great. No, for sure. I agree because we do, we want to give people opportunity and they want it. And, um, you know, uh, the only person to blame is ourselves for that at the end of the day. And, and we didn't do them justice, any justice as much as we didn't do the rest of the team, even though our heart of hearts would tell us that we felt like we were doing the right thing because we care about people and we want them to have the opportunity to grow. And sometimes uh, I'll be honest, that's got in the way of making the right decision sometimes. Yeah. It has. Yeah, I, think I mean, it that's will. fine. It's good to be a good person and try to help people, but also realize that, you know, you got to watch the balance between being a good person because the one thing I have learned in, as our business has scaled is most people don't want to tell you no if you're the CEO, if you ask them and the owner to do the yeah. bit, to do the job, right? So it's not like, hey, you want to be the service manager of this department? They're like, hell no. Like, because yeah. they all think that is the required next step in their growth. And it's not always. And I think that's something that I've recognized more over the last two years and even up to today. Like, it's not always the right journey for that person. Um, and I know you started a leadership academy uh, training program, I believe, that you started working on. And we're doing something that's like, let's make sure that you have the true competencies to go in this area, right? Like, do you really have those to move into those levels? You go from technician to manager to maybe senior leader. Those all take different skills and different characteristics. And being able to identify what do I need to see from a frontline employee to give me the idea that they have the characteristics to be a manager? And then what do I have from a manager characteristics to make sure I really understand that they have the potential to become a senior leader, right? Because they're, they're, they're different. They just, they yeah. are. Um, as, much as, as much as we want to just see people scale up real fast, right? That growth. And 
our, sometimes our businesses really do grow faster than, than, than even ourselves. I mean, we could say that a Chad, I know mean, you know, I've been pretty transparent that sometimes our business are scaling fast that we're trying to catch up on how to lead and manage the business, nor less our frontline management or senior management team, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that you mentioned the Leadership Academy. I appreciate that. Um, you know, that has been one of the things that I've kind of used as a helper in my identifying future leaders. Uh, that's actually what the one of the programs that we have is called. Uh, where I speak, I'm speaking at 6 a.m. on Friday. Um, at the end, everybody in the company is invited to come, and I'm just talking about something I've read or you know something like that. I have a huge folder. Uh, of uh, notes and stuff like that that I pull from. But, you know, to me, that's a, as you said, trying to identify these people, it's sometimes tough. You know, hey, they're out in their truck, you don't see them. It's like, oh, I didn't even realize he had those skills where I use that program as kind of a, well, if you show up to this, that would be a good first start. Um, and so, you know, those are, those are my people that listen to this. Hey, there's a free tip. Uh, if you want, I mean, showing up is half the battle. Uh, are, are you, are you listening? Are you trying to grow? Are you trying to get better? Which I think is important. We, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, trying to find people that, that fit and can grow with the company. You said you've hired what four, four office manager and maybe three or four frontline yeah, managers, frontline managers. Uh -huh. 60 days. What, uh, and we talked a little bit about uh, myself screwing up the uh, process of selecting the, the wrong person. What kind of system do you, did you guys put in place to find those people to try to get the right person in place? Was there any sort of interviewing techniques or questions or like profiles you were trying to feel? What, what did that yeah. look like for you guys? I mean, I think we really took, uh, you know, the one score, like as a, part, a piece of it, really identifying the one score program. How do they score in the competencies of this role? We did really dive into color code really hard this time to really understanding the color code based upon, you know, what we're asking out of this role. Does it actually fit your core personality in a color code? Like, right. And then we also back that up with this. So we really use like this fundamental trying to get the core understanding of this person. I'm not saying everything is judged on those things, by the way, but they're a good piece to really say, all right, if, if this role is really about being somebody that's a leader and a driver and all these things and their number one color code is white, probably not going to work out well for them or for the rest of the people around them because white would say, hey, I'm more at harmony and I don't like to make decisions. I want other people to tell me what to do. Like this is a decision driven role and you're comfortable in that seat, right? Doing that. So I think we really try to dig into that a little bit more than we have in the past besides just say, oh, hey, you've been doing a fantastic job and we've met, we've, you've worked here and X, Y, and Z kind of like you probably did, right. Just making kind of handpicking people out of the crowd, like, doop, right. And just say, why don't you come give this a shot or asking them. Right. Um, and then we also took the mindset of more than ever is like, you do not need to be from this industry at all. Like zero. We're not going to make that a requirement as much as we probably used to do when we were smaller because we're like oh we want people to know how to do this stuff right because you did you needed people to know how to do it now now hopefully we have enough people to know how to do that right and do that well is that was not a requirement that we really peeled back um from in the past like we've we've probably been really hard on like wanting to have people that were somewhat in the industry itself like you did not have to be in plumbing or hvac or the home service industry at all we just want to understand that you truly know how to lead and manage and hold people accountable and that, you know, and then these characteristics exist um, from the standpoint of like, or do you have a consistent behavior? How do you respond to things we send you already? Uh, we've sent projects. We like to send little projects to people and say, hey, especially the higher roles, like, hey, analyze this data and then give us a quick report back on what you see and what actions you would take, right? To really get them to think longer scale. Because a lot of times what we see is people are very much were single mind thinking within one day or maybe a month at best. We want to, if you want leaders in your organization have to be thought leaders and thought leaders think in quarters and, and years, right? So we wanted to really find out like in these new positions as we hire, how do they think? Are they thinking only right here or can they think in, in a longer term? So hopefully that answers some of the question of some of the things that we go into. And then we did two rounds of, you know, solid interviewing and and some board, like, you know, people get together and collaborate a little bit more on the role as we hire. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you hit on a, a tremendous point there that I think uh, 
others can learn from. And it took me a long time to figure this out. Actually, last last uh, Wednesday, I think it was, was my 10-year anniversary here at the company, uh, full-time worker. Um, and uh, it probably took me eight to realize that we can hire somebody from outside the industry, let alone, I don't know how to fix anything. Um, so it's like, hey, look in the mirror, silly. <laughs> uh, figure it out. Uh, but no, I, I think you're, you're hundred percent right. And we have had some tremendous success. Um, I know you've brought in, you know, Elliot there at your, mm-hmm. you know, who would have ever thought, oh yeah, let's plug him into our business and then look at the value that he brings. Um, and we've just had a whole lot of success of bringing different perspectives into this business that can put a new set of eyes on something and go, Hey, I don't know how you guys did it before, but like, why don't we do it like this? Whereas that idea would have never in a million years been brought up. You know, are there things that they may not be privy to, you know, the technical side of things? Yes, but I'm fairly confident if you select the right person, they can probably figure out how to get whoever it is they need the answer and win over the team at the same time to say, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to find you the answer and I'm going to find it too fast for you. Um, and, and I think if you can really cement that uh, as a new leader in this industry, I think you can, there's a ton of upside uh, into what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, we just sit here and think like, you know, you mentioned Elliot, who's our CTO, you know, as companies get bigger, you start to have these positions that, you know, people probably are familiar with, but, uh, you know, he came over from limited brands of Victoria's Secret, right? Uh, we have a continuous improvement manager. She has a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. She came from Granger and Nationwide Insurance. Like, you know, so we started to bring people in from in these other roles um, that that are not. You know, our marketing manager. She, you know, she came from uh, Ryan Partnership, which was a large uh, marketing firm, right? So they're they're not trade specific, I guess, or home service. They they understand like this from a holistic picture, and they bring new insight, like the things that our continuous improvement manager that I didn't even expect was like, she has so much insight into large call centers to like things I've never even heard us talk about in Nextstar that she brings like, wow, that's like, like the way we think about service levels and the way we think about different areas of tracking and reporting and doing things now inside of our call center, not to take anything away from next. It's just a different level because they're running call centers of thousands and thousands of people. Right. Like, so it's just being able to have this other insight. You know, you think about two people, Mike, who came from Victoria's Secret and limited brands too, like publicly traded company, like they had to do forecasting, long forecasting and Elliot did data science and finance background. So they bring new ways to really think about that. And then we bring our expertise of what we do today, right? So it's not taking anything away from the field technician that does the call every day or the service or the dispatcher. It's just a great, it builds a great bridge. How about that for like a better way? And you really get to see things in a different level. Uh, once you start to bring those teams together. So I guess I would say if anybody's listening to this podcast, and they want, it's like be comfortable doing that. Uh, even even on maybe a smaller, maybe not the same size as ours or even bigger, whatever. You know, I think, you know, for people to understand we're over, you know, 30 million chat, I think you're around like 45 or something, right? In that area, even if you're still down at, you know, when I say still down, I don't want to come up the wrong way there, but even if you're still getting started and you're four or 5 million and, and you're really saying, oh, I got to have a service manager, I got to have somebody who has, I would say I wish I would have took the leap a little bit earlier in that area because it would have brought some other insight to the team that would have been valuable, not to take anything away from the team members you have. But I think it, you really see people that are a different trade line. What I mean by this is being a manager is its own trade line, right? It's its own trade, right? Being a plumber, HVAC tech or electrician is a trade. Being a manager is a trade. It just is a trade. It's its own trade. It's its own craft. Yeah. Awesome stuff there. You touched on a number of things that I would 100% agree with you. And I think it really comes back to, you know, kind of what you said at the beginning there of getting clear on where you want to go, work the model. Uh, Jared, I think we got a, uh, we got a, we got a title for the podcast. Um, But uh, you know, it, it's, all ties back to as you as the leader have to set the vision and understand where you want to go. If you want to hang out at where you're at right now and not really grow all that much and do whatever, well then don't build a business to grow or scale. If you, you know, but if you want to grow and scale, then I think what you just talked about of finding these people who are outside our industry and find the person that you may need 
quote unquote, two to three years from now in your plan and get them on your team. The best investment that you can make is in the people that you have on your team. You know, it, it's, it's finding those that have these great ideas and want to push the organization forward. Well, getting those people on your team is critical in moving forward. Um, you know, Jared, who, who helps me uh, produce the, well, he didn't help me produce the podcast. I don't do anything but talk, uh, <laughs> but he produces the podcast. You know, Jared's been with us now for, shoot, three years. And I still remember the look on my dad's face when I said that I hired, hired somebody to shoot video all day. But I knew that where we were going and what we wanted to do and that, you know, having Jared on the team a few years before everyone else said we needed them has been a tremendous thing for us. We've been able to produce far more things than we would have ever thought possible as far as content goes. And that's just one example, uh, you know, and you had tons of examples too. When Elliot and Mike joined your team, I'm sure there were some people that thought you were probably pretty crazy. Uh, or one, what's Mike <laughs> doing? And two, like, why do you need someone to analyze data? Like, what, yeah. what are you talking about? Like we run service calls. Yeah, uh, it is. And you have to be, you know, I think that's, again, being a thought leader, right? You have to be able to see foresight into the future of where you want to go. And I think you brought up a good point there. It's like, make a decision of what your vision is and then do that. So if it is to be a vision of, I don't want to grow past this and this is what we are, then clearly hire people that operate that business at that level and realize that and be okay with that. And then if it isn't, then go ahead and start investing into, you know, bringing roles on because I want to make sure it's clear that in this podcast that we're not saying that the team that we have is not good enough because that is not the case. I want to make sure that's clear. For sure. The point that we're saying here is bringing other people onto the team that help bring value to that team, to the rest of your team members, as much as the team members bring value to them. And that's, I think, what we need to really understand is like, getting everybody to come in and then build that cohesive team together is it's not going to be easy, by the way. And it's still not easy. And Chad can vouch for that. And anybody else I know that we talked to and we talked to Tommy over A1 Garage Doors and they're blowing up, but he's still, he's got that child, right? We talked to our peers at other locations. It's never going to be easy. So don't think it's easy, by the way. But at the same time, like it will help make it life easier as you move forward. As your point here is like, get Jared on. Yeah, it might, it might've been at the time, a little, hey, what's this, what's that? But as you knew where you wanted to go, all of it has fallen in place now because you were able to work through that together. So I think it's just bridging that gap, bringing the team together, bringing the right talent in to help support all the players on the team. And that's what it's all about. That's literally what it's about. Once you can figure that out, uh, I mean, you can really, you know, take off. You just, you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one last thing that I'll throw on that and and then we'll move to uh, something else is that, you know, while it may seem that bringing on someone from outside the industry, like the gap is really wide, I would contend that the gap is actually closer because those who don't come in with a bunch of preconceived notions about the industry ask a heck of a lot more questions. And ultimately, it ends up helping the whole organization because the biggest, in my mind, one of the biggest challenges we have when it comes to building culture and, you know, leading effectively is that two thirds of our workforce is out in a van by themselves. They're not in the office. And there's a lot of stuff that, that crosses that chasm from the field to the office and back and forth that gets overlooked because those in the office say, well, they should just all do it like that. Well, not exactly. Let's look at it from a different perspective. And maybe we need to readjust our process or procedure to help them out in the field on the front lines. Um, and I have seen that with people who come from, not to say that people inside the industry don't ask those questions, but people that have come from outside the industry always pose these questions and we're like, huh, never thought about it like that. Like, well, yeah, it isn't going to work. Uh, like, okay, that sounds great. Um, but uh, I don't know if you've seen that as well in your, your organization as far as the questions that they ask and, and they kind of pull that gap closer together, I feel like sometimes. Yeah, and I, I think they make you, you know, challenge your own concept, right? Or make you think about something again even, even if it's right or wrong, you have to think about it again and answer the question and explain why you're at the point you are, right? And, and, yeah. and, and then that makes you uh, question maybe why you're doing something or maybe you've been doing something for a long time and you rethink and you're like, oh God, that was this is dumb. Why are we still doing that, right? Uh, yeah. Which I think we've all done. 
um, or validates something that you're doing too, to remind you that, hey, we are doing this very well. So I, I would agree. I think we're seeing more of that um, as we're moving forward and getting more people engaged and asking questions. And it's really made us explain our business to ourselves more. And I think as most people know, the more you can teach, the more you learn, right? So as you're teaching your business to other people and other people that are in the business, teaching it to people coming on and do stuff, the more you actually learn and you're vulnerable in that, if you're vulnerable at that, um, you will like, you will learn a lot. And I think that's a, that's an ego thing. And I, I mean, we all have that Chad. We, we, we've talked a little bit about ego one time before too, a little bit, but you know, it's a little bit of ego, but you got to be vulnerable and ask those questions. And, you know, at the end of the day, like whatever's the best thing for the company is really all that matters. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk uh, here last, uh, but not least uh, about your school, uh, about what you got going on. I know we're going to be, you and I are both uh, talking at, uh, on a panel at uh, the super meeting here coming up in about a month or month's yeah. time here at uh, down in uh, Marco Island, uh, which will be, uh, which will be a lot of fun seeing everybody. Um, and, and catching up, but tell us a little bit about your school, kind of culture building. We'll kind of we'll kind of end on uh, as we near kind of the hour. We'll kind of end on on that piece. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first off, you know, I mean, I've thanked you, but I want to thank you on here too. I appreciate you helping us facilitate and get this school up off the ground. By the way, you guys, Chad, inviting us out, letting us see what you're doing, sharing so much of the work that your team put in with us to help us get up off the ground and get going is like greatly appreciated, man. Like I, I can't thank you enough. So thank you. And Absolutely. I know Chad's always like one of the uh, guys that just shares. I like, had to say the other day to you, I said, I feel like I've been taking more than I've been sharing with you, Chad. Whenever I said that to you the other day, you say, Oh, it'll, it'll come back around. Um, and it does. And I, I think we've shared stuff other, but recently you've shared a lot of great things with me. So first off, I just want to say thank you again for that. All right. It's been Absolutely. great. We learned a lot from going out there. And then our team came together and it's been awesome. I mean, we've really built the eco university, we call it. Uh, it's taken on its own like being, right? It's literally its own location, its own building. It has a dean. We hired a dean. We call him the dean. Uh, he has a military background, like 20 years as a, in military as a sergeant major. He had like 15 years in the school district. So he's got like that overall, like he's got the teaching part, but he's also still got like the drill sergeant thing going on. <laughs> So people like enjoy it, but fear it a little bit, yeah. but it's, so it's been good structure. Uh, and then we take, you know, one of our um, you know, like senior technician, we had a, a, you know, right now we have one of our QCs quality control guys is going over and doing all the hands-on training there. So that's been great to be able to really get in the lab and build a lab out. So it's about a 5,000 square foot building. Uh, it's got portal training from next, uh, next tech. So we thank next star also, right. Next star has also driven a lot of this for us. So thank you next star for, you know, investing in this uh, program and then letting us all jump in and share and learn off of it. So that's been it. So they do lab work. Uh, they'll do portal work and lab work one day and then they ride the next day. And that goes on every other day. Right now we have 20 students in the program that have zero experience in the trades. Zero experience. They just started two weeks ago. It is our first class that we would not consider a hybrid class where we have some of our people that have been on our team for a little bit that were still young and, and people that were very green. This is the first class that will be 20 students graduating in December and 16, we do it 14 to 16 weeks and uh, they will get trucks. There's trucks waiting, they'll be sitting out there waiting. So this is a great opportunity really for us to bring people into the trades uh, that have not, we all know there's a shortage in the trades. Like that's been no secret for a long time. It's a great way to build a culture inside because you're getting them really build the culture with them from the beginning we do a lot of stuff it's not just all technical plumbing work we meet with them we have eco way meetings we have a service system come in and do stuff i meet with them and come over and you know talk about the culture do stuff we have our you know our core values up and we go through all the core values stuff we go through our mission statement we have a orientation meeting where we talk about it about it. We have meetings along the way where we discuss the culture and the things that we want to build and look like. And then we have a great graduation celebration at the end where we bring everybody, all the trainers, everybody together and really celebrate this. Because one thing I've noticed, and Chad, you might with yours too, is like most of us uh, in the trades, you know, different, but most of us getting into trade trades don't, don't really have any formal education or don't have anything that they can say, man, I really can hold this up and hang on this and say, I did this, right? Like I did this. And they have 14 weeks, 16 weeks. They have to pass test. They got to do all this work. They got to put the time and they got to be there at the end. Like you got to celebrate that with them and make them feel like feel because they did earn it. 
that they have something they can hang up and be proud of uh, and, and to start their career with. So we've seen success with that and we look forward to it. I mean, right now we're going to have 20 new, we're going to put 20 trucks on the road in December. Uh, my goal is every 16, 16 weeks to pump out 20 new plumbers and maybe HVAC. I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome stuff. Uh, exciting. I appreciate the, um, uh, the, the, the compliment. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people helped us get ours off the, um, up off the ground. Uh, so happy to share any insight that I have. Um, and I, and I think there's a bigger, there's a bigger piece of this whole thing, you know, uh, two guys in the Midwest from Indy to Columbus, which is not that far of a drive. We've got 17 kids in ours that just started last Monday um awesome. last monday yeah last monday my weeks are coming all together yeah, i think we're on the, uh, we're pretty much on the same well we have yeah. the same curriculum basically right so yeah. we're pretty much on the same rhythm <laughs> yeah so you know that that is in year 20 that makes 37 brand new people to our trade um and yes. i think it just goes to you know show you that the commitment to, to going out and, and building these people, um, the more that we in the trades can band together and create more of these schools all across the country, uh, the better all, that's how we improve our industry. Uh, it's not by continually complaining and sitting on our hands going, oh, well, you know, we can't find any good people or we would or whatever it is, like, just stop it. Just stop doing that. It is hard work, but I'm here to tell you, there's two people right here that would be more than happy to help you uh, if that is something you are truly passionate about. And I think it's something that we both are passionate about. Um, you know, one of the things, and I know I've talked to you about this, but one of the things that I get the most satisfaction is of, you, you mentioned holding up the um, uh, holding up the diploma or, you know, certificate or whatever you want to call it. But one of the things in very similar vein is uh, I was part of the hiring process on the, not this past class, but the class before. And the look on people's face when you said they were accepted into the program, um, that was worth everything um, to know that you had literally had a part in hopefully changing someone's life for the better. Um, you know, trades may be looked at as dirty work, but um, th there's a lot of people out there that are trying to do some really cool things. And I, I think that hopefully the trade is better off for it, for sure. So thank you for your commitment to doing that. I think that uh, hopefully uh, we're pushing the trade in the right direction. I, I believe we are. And I mean, I, I've maybe heard me say this many times, like plumbing slash trades saved my life. What I mean by that, it gave me something, gave me something to go to work for, gave me an opportunity. Um, it believed in me and I think it's our responsibility to believe in it back. Right. So as you grow and you get in a position financially, you know, instead of taking the money and you no, know, not to say you shouldn't buy stuff and, and enjoy life, but give it back to the trade, right? Give back, grow the trade. It's your business. At the same time, it's the trade that's given us an opportunity, whether Chad, it's you to get into it, your father in the trades, right. Growing, like it's given us something. Right. And I think it's our, it's, it's part of your responsibility to give back to it and grow it and, and treat it as the way we really want it to be, right? As we look at our generation, I know I'm a little bit older than you, Chad, so, okay, we're a little off there, but, <laughs> but you know, as we think about, as we transition through, you know, our, you know, the older generation of the trades, which laid the foundation for how to do the work, what to do, as we look into what does the trade still need and what kind of people need to be in the trades to keep it up and growing and keep a high standard of it, like that's our responsibility now to carry that, right? Um, and, and carry that torch, right, to move forward. So I look forward to growing and doing more with this. And I agree, like, we need to build more schools around the country. And we need more people that own businesses that are willing to invest. It's, it's not, it's an investment, it costs money. Like, that's the bottom line. Like, we have 20 people, we're paying to go to school for 16 weeks, right? Like, earn and learn at the same time. So you have to be up for that and realize that some of them aren't going to work out. And you have to understand that too. But the greater good. And if you do it right, it will pay its dividends. As you said, don't sit around and complain about stuff. Let's find solutions. And the way to do that is by investing in the schools, investing in the training programs and investing in the trades and, and being the owner on the forefront. I've seen videos of you Chad, and talk to you. You're there shaking their hands when they graduate, right? I do the same thing. We take a picture with every single person that graduates, like showing that you're just as committed as the CEO, the owner of your organization, as much as you want them, your team to be committed. You need to also be committed. And I'm not saying 
depending on the size of the place, you can be at everything all the time, but you need to show that you're committed to that, to this program. Absolutely. Um, and I couldn't think of a better way to kind of round out the episode as we near the hour, but um, you know, as, as I think back on, on what we've talked about and, and I'm excited to share this episode with the listeners, I, I think there's, there's so many nuggets in here of good practice and, and things that can help you grow your business. I think as we talked about it a couple of times is just get clear on where you want to go. Uh, get clear on the impact that you want to make with your business, you know, and, and everybody has a different one of those. Uh, your, your vision is going to be different than, than mine, is going to be different than Aaron's, is going to be different than who's ever, and that's okay. But you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't take the time to get clear on it um, and then share it with your people. Um, you will be amazed at how hard your people will work to help achieve what is ultimately your vision. Um, yes, you may get input from them. Uh, yes, you may get this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, this is really your dreams of what you want to turn it into. And your company has the power to do that if you, as Aaron said, invest, give back, uh, work to develop uh, the people within your company, and you can create some amazing things. And sometimes it's that little push. Hopefully that little push may be this episode. If you're kind of coming up on this year as we enter September, it's always budgeting season. Uh, everyone's favorite time of year uh, for, <laughs> for, for 2022. You know, as you near, the one thing I always start with before I ever start budgeting is I look back at what the vision for the company is. Are there any tweaks that we needed to make to it? Uh, have we went in a direction that we maybe shouldn't have gone in that we need to stop going in? Uh, or is there a direction that we went in that we, you know, could possibly explore some more and, and exploit uh, as a potential opportunity? So again, Aaron, thanks for your time. Uh, I know you're busy. I'll see you here in about uh, in about a month. I'm sure I'll talk to you before then. But listeners, uh, this is definitely one. Hopefully, I know you got something uh, out of it. And as we said at the end, uh, go help somebody. Go share this with somebody that may need it and give them a helping hand. So thanks again, Aaron, I appreciate it.